So how many of you are excited to be in God's house? I wanna ask that first. How many of us are ready for God's word? Now, I, I let you in on that secret a couple of weeks ago in the reason I ask questions. Right to start, I ask one or two questions because questions what? They focus us. When you ask a question, your brain focuses. So I'm asking, how many of you are ready to lean in? How many of you are ready to pursue? How many of you are ready to hear? And, and when you start answering that question, yes, yes, then, then man, I, I hope you are ready. And uh, we're going to talk about the power of questions in a little bit. We'll, we'll cover that. But first, I want, you to, I want you to realize something. That if you want to have a great relationship, and this doesn't mean just husband and, and wife, doesn't mean just a marriage. It could mean a partnership. It could mean friendships. It could mean uh, at work. It could mean with your children. It could mean with whatever relationship you have, um, it's important to work on you. And first of all, how important are relationships? Oh, they're, they're extremely important. It's been said, it's not who or what you know. I mean, it's not what you know or how much you know, it's what? Who you know. Relationships will either open doors or close doors. And when you have a healthy, a healthy em, uh, relational, emotional bank, I mean, you can go anywhere. You can do anything because you have people that will stand by you and help you. How important were relationships in Nehemiah's life? How important were relationships ultimately in Joseph's life? How important were these relationships? And you say, Joseph, Joseph had it so hard, but he also understood that he didn't let his hardships get him down. What do I mean by that? If you're not careful, you can let your hardships become stumbling blocks for your future. Think about this. What if he had gotten bitter? What if he had vowed in his heart for revenge? Now, do you think the Lord would have promoted him? No. Judah, one of his brothers, would be the, the, the what? He would be the one that Jesus would come out of his line. Now, think if Joseph had said, I'm going to get even. I'm going to get these guys. So we have to be careful with this. We have to be careful with, with with how we approach our relationships and not getting stuck in the past. But before we get to not getting stuck in the past, I wanna, I wanna remind you of something that is very, very important. And today we're gonna talk about you. You, that means how do, what do I need to prepare my heart so that I can be a great partner, so that I can be good, a good spouse, so that I can be a good father, a good son, whatever relationship I'm involved in, so that I bring good health to it. How many of us know that if we wanna be part of a great team, you've gotta be a great player? Can I just speak to my singles for a second? Some of us want a great spouse, but we're not being great spouses now. See, you play like you practice. If you're practicing sloppy, you're gonna play sloppy. And sometimes we have our eye on this great prize. I, I'll never forget, I was talking to one of my disciples and, and he was a young guy and he says, how do I get an awesome girl? I said, what do you want? And he started listing these, I mean, amazing qualities. I'm like, wow, yeah, everybody should want that. But then it struck me, God spoke to me and he said, this kid wants this, but he's not that. So I asked him, what do you think this young lady's looking for? He said, well, I don't know. I said, can I be real? It ain't you. 
I'm just, I just got to be real, right? David's like, what are you talking about? You'd be so mean. No, but sometimes you got to hear the truth. You might be looking way up here, but if you're living way down here, guess where she's looking? Right over the top of you. She's looking for a great guy. So if you want a great relationship, you've got to be a great you. And that goes in every sense. Sometimes we judge those across from us way harsher. Why? Because we have a tendency to constantly be comparing ourselves. And sometimes we don't compare ourselves in a healthy way. There is a good comparison and there is a bad comparison. Good comparison is when God uses others to motivate you, bless you, and encourage you. But the world will also use comparison to distract you. So you say, well, how do I know if, the, if it's a godly comparison and a worldly comparison? A godly comparison brings peace and joy. See, because comparison, worldly comparison, is the thief of joy and peace. It's the thief of joy and peace. And you say, Pastor, wait a minute. Yeah, I changed it. I added a word. The saying says that what? Comparison is the thief of joy. Who said that? Some of you are thinking, didn't Jesus say it? No. It came way after. It was actually a man that took the presidency in 1901. Who am I speaking of? Any history buffs? 1901, Theodore Roosevelt became president, also known as Teddy. He was the 26th president, if, I'm a, if, if I can remember correctly. And he said, comparison is the thief of joy. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you allow yourself to fall into a worldly comparison, it will steal your joy because Jesus said, my joy is not of this world. And so if you try to obtain it using the mechanisms of this world, you will only find yourself without it. Without what? Without peace. This is what I mean. When you stay in your lane, how many of you have ever heard, stay in your lane, bro? How many of you have ever heard, stay in your lane? What does that mean? That's a runner's term. When you're running a race, you can't have your opponent coming into your lane. Why? Matter of fact, that's a disqualification, but it can also hinder your ability to run. So you say, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. Don't worry about me. You worry about you. There's also a saying in the Appalachian Trail by hikers. The motto is, hike your own hike. What does that mean? Hike your own hike means that everyone is doing something different. And if you're concerned with trying to keep up with the next guy, you're liable to find yourself in trouble. What do I mean by that? They may be a higher uh, skill level. They may have more ability as hikers. That may, or they have less gear or more gear. They have a different strategy. They may not be going as long as you are. They may be going a shorter distance. They may be going a longer distance and pacing themselves. They may be working on something. You never know what they're doing. And so when you try to do it their way, you might, end up, you might end up finding yourself in deep water or in the weeds and really struggling even for your life if you're not careful. And so you have to hike your own hike. What does that mean for us as Christians? To stay in your lane, swim your race, run your race, hike your own hike. It means that, that if you're not careful, Comparing yourself and looking across the fence can steal joy from you in this way. What if I'm constantly looking at my neighbor's yard and saying, man, why is his grass so green? Why is his grass so green? What does that do to my heart? You say, Pastor, that's so obvious, but yet so hard for us to get. Some of the most obvious, more, the most obvious truths are the hardest to really grasp. Can I tell you something? You want to know where the grass is greener? 
where you water it. So if you want green grass, don't envy your neighbor's grass. Turn on the water sprinkler. Well, I don't want to pay the bill. That's another story, right? If you don't want to pay the bill, can I, can I introduce you to Texas Zeroscape? That's what I have. I just let it grow wild. No, I'm just kidding. You put a fancy term to it and you can love it, right? You can learn to love it. No, but what I'm trying to tell you is this, guys, is that if you're constantly looking there, you will lose satisfaction. Do you know satisfaction is one of the most beautiful things you can have in your relationships? You know, Mick Jagger saying, I can't get no satisfaction. Truth is, if you do it the world's way, you'll never get satisfaction. Never, ever, ever. So what do you mean? Have you ever experienced a time where you didn't realize your deficiencies, where you didn't know what you were or what you weren't? You were just at that perfect place of peace. Yeah, when I was a kid, exactly. When you were a child, did you worry about stuff? I didn't. My dad took care of it. I can remember riding my bike. I didn't even know I had a bad bike. You know what I mean? I didn't know I was poor. Anyone grow up and say, man, I didn't even realize I was poor. I was just in that perfect place of satisfaction. I'll never forget the day the enemy came in and began to steal my peace, my joy, through dissatisfaction and comparison. You know what it was? It was Michael Jordan's first pair of shoes. It was the Air Jordans number ones. So can I tell you how this relates to me? Because as I came in the first service, right before the first service, one of our dear sisters asked, Pastor, how many shoes do you have? <laughs> and I, I took it like, like she was accusing me. I got defensive. We're going to talk about that in a second. <laughs> it reveals something about you. When you get defensive, it reveals something about you, not about them, about you. And so I started, I started realizing, yeah, that's always been my issue. Why? Because I used to wear pro wings. But now, if you know me, how many Jordan 1s do you see? I, and I don't buy any Jordans. I always buy the what? The number ones. How many do you think I have? Stay in your lane. Don't judge me. <laughs> Hike your hike. You see what I'm saying? I think, I think I have my challenges, but you have yours. And I think sometimes it's easy to notice somebody else's challenges because it's less painful than noticing ours. Amen? So today, before we can form these strong, lasting relationships, we got to work on our side of the fence. we got to do some watering on our ground. And so what I want you to understand is this is that I have realized that was a painful spot for me because it was at that point that I looked down and my friends started making fun of my, you know, they started making fun of pro wings. That's what I wore. I wore pro wings. I didn't, how much were the first Jordan ones? Anyone? 50 something dollars. I think they were 59 bucks. That might as well have been a thousand dollars to a kid. And my dad, there's no way in the world he was going to pay for that. No way in the world. So to me, it created a sense of insecurity. It created a sense of dissatisfaction, of uncomfort. And I remember coming home and treating my brothers different. How? Because I was frustrated. Why was I frustrated? Who told you? God said to Adam. Oh, who told you you were naked? 
one told you you're naked. Look at those shoes. What do you mean? No, those are cool shoes. Right here is what everybody wants. And I think we allow the devil to tell us what's important instead of God telling us who he who has called us to be and what he has us to be. So you might be tempted to say, Pastor, does it always go back to God with you? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. How about a uh, yes? You're in church. So uh, what must we learn about this, this thing about comparison? We must understand that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6, the Bible says, having then gifts differing according to the grace. What does that mean? It means God's grace gift made you different. He didn't clone you. He's not an evil empire that makes clones. Some of you are going, what is he talking about? That's my Star Wars reference. That's it. <laughs> Listen to me. To the grace that is given to you, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to your own faith. Meaning that God has made you special. And you will never realize how awesome God has made you if you're constantly doubting and begrudging and wanting somebody else's gifts. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, you're a snowflake? Can you turn to your neighbor back and say, so are you? No, no, no. Some of you are saying, no, I'm Republican. I don't say that. Can I tell you, you're not Republican. You're a Christian. You're a Christian. Some of you are saying, well, I'm glad because I'm Democrat. No, you're a Christian. And as a Christian, God says you're unique. And every snowflake he puts on this earth is unique. It has its own crystallization patterns. And you have your own patterns. And if he can be unique with snowflakes, how much more unique can he be with something wonderful and majestic and beautiful like you? Why would you ever want to be somebody else? Have the courage and the confidence to be you. It will set you free in your relationships because you'll be able to walk with satisfaction. I'm not worried about this person. I'm not worried who has less or who has more and all of these things. All I know is that I'm glad God made me me and I'm alive today. I get to live this beautiful, beautiful life that God has prepared for me. Watch what Paul says to the Corinthian church. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who contend, oh, excuse me, who commend themselves, okay? For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves, are comparing themselves among themselves. This isn't so wise. What is he saying? He's saying, stop measuring yourself by the other ships in the, in the harbor or in the ocean or out at sea. Because when you measure yourself that way, you're like, well, wait a minute, he's ahead of me. And God, go, God will ask you, how do you know they're ahead of you? How do you know? Well, they're ahead of me. Not if you're going to the cross. Come on now. That's good preaching. That's something simple, but that's what happens when you compare yourself with other people. You're like, well, well there, uh, 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 and God's going, stop it, I'm calling you over here. 
Can I share with you that dissatisfaction will affect the way you treat others and it will affect the way you can, you can be at peace to really pour in and see the beauty of life. It will. It will. What's for you is for you. Listen to what he says in the Galatian church. He says, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He's saying there was once a time where I tried to, I tried to please others and I lived for others, but now I live for God. God is my, is my master and he's a good master. How many of you know if you try to please the world, you'll never please anyone? Including God, and most importantly, you'll never feel satisfied in yourself. See, Paul is saying, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. Watch this. I know how to be abased, that means to have nothing, and I know how to abound. That means to have plenty. You know, I had to learn that the hard way. I was always concerned, and it started with the shoes, but then it went to, see, because some of you are saying, oh, I don't, I don't compare shoes, but do you compare cars? Do you compare houses? Do you compare jobs and status? Do you compare bank accounts? What are you comparing? You have to be careful because the comparisons keep going. And this is the thing, I can remember comparing my car and my, my mom said, no, you don't get a new car, you get the old junker and you've got to learn to be you in regardless of what car you find yourself in, there you are anyway. And so when I finally learned that, I understood what Paul meant, not in its full capacity, Paul is much higher than me if I'm honestly comparing myself in a Christian way, I can be humbled by Paul's example but I don't make myself feel worse. I'm encouraged in that humility to strive, just as I strive to be more like Christ, amen? So there is a good comparison, but I remember this. I remember thinking, Lord, help me to be me. Regardless of who's driving what, let me be me. And when I walked in that promise and walked in that confidence and satisfaction, people wanted to be around me. And I'll never forget when my friends would rather take my junker than their BMW. Everyone had a BMW, no one had a junker. They call it a hoopty. In Spanish, it's a carcacha. <laughs> they, every culture has a name for it. You know what I had it be known as? It's a cool car. No, it's not a cool car. It's people just being themselves and not pretentious or trying to be something else. And there's a tremendous sense of satisfaction and peace that comes with that. Can I remind you, living doesn't cost much, but showing off does. Living doesn't cost much, but showing off does. So how do you defeat the spirit of comparison? Number one, make a list of the areas in your life where you, this is a problem. What kind of, what kind of list? Make a list of, if you, if you have a problem comparing marital status, career, material possessions, spiritual growth, whatever it is, search, search deep. Make that list. And then number two, make a list of the people you have a problem with. Oh my gosh, pastor, you're getting like down to the nitty gritty. This is uncomfortable, yeah. But can I tell you what's more uncomfortable? 
living with the dissatisfaction year after year after year and letting the, game, letting the enemy play that tired game on you. Number three, what is number three? Pray a blessing for the people. And at first you're going to feel like the Fonz. You ever heard, everyone, I mean, I'm showing my age. Some of you kids are going like, what is the Fonz? Happy days, guys, happy days. The Fonz could never admit he was wrong. That's the way you're going to pray at first. You're going to be like, get him, God, get him. I know, I know, pastor said to pray a blessing, but I think the way you need to bless them is humble them, God. That's not a sincere, let God be God. You just say, Lord, I ask the best for them. I ask whatever they need, Lord, that you would provide it. I pray that you would bring peace and joy in their life. Can I tell you something? This will set you free from a mentality of scarcity. I had to get over that. Scarcity was, I was raised by a grandma who had all the grandkids and they would get one snicker bar given to her and she would cut it up. I told you this before. I got such a small piece, I never knew Snickers had peanuts. It's like, and so we're always competing. When you're raised in a big family, you're made, yes, you love each other, but you also got to get yours before your brother eats your hot dog. You know what I'm saying? So, so what I'm trying to tell you is this, in God's, at God's table, there's more than enough for you. More than enough for you. He can bless your brother or your sister and still bless you. But, but Lord hasn't blessed me the way I want it. Can I tell you something? Oftentimes he won't bless you where you want it. He'll bless you where you need it. So, so please pray a blessing. Nan, number four, pray God's blessing for you and the courage to receive it. What do I mean by the courage to receive it? Okay, I prayed for somebody else. Now it's time to pray for me. Lord, bless me the way you want me to be blessed. That's courage, because that's basically saying, Lord, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Can I tell you, he set me free in this part. There was a time as a pastor where I used to compare myself to other pastors. I used to compare myself to other ministries. I used to want and desire, because that's what that creates. Comparison will bring dissatisfaction. That dissatisfaction, you try to deal with it in the worldly way with ambition, striving, trying to do it in your own strength. And so as that became more and more and more, I just became more and more unhappy. And it was, it was spilling out to my children. It was spilling out to my wife. I just didn't have any peace. And so I was short because I was upset with myself. But why am I upset with myself? Who told you, pastor, you were less than? Who told you that? Well, because I'm, but God said, look at me. So I'll never forget. I was outside under the stars, preparing for a message. That's what I do. I go outside, and I spend some time with God on a Saturday night, and I said, you know what? I'm just not having it. So I went inside and grabbed a beer. <laughs> you know what I found? God was totally okay with it. Like somehow I was going to keep God away. I got a beer, God. <laughs> and God's like, okay, now we're ready to talk. You're trying to, you're going to be you, right? So I'm, I'm having my beer, and I feel the Lord say, Chris, are you willing to go wherever I ask you to go? <coughs> Put the beer down. I'm like, we just got real. 
How many of you know God will take you to the edge and say, do you trust me to jump? Are you willing? So one of the brothers said in the first service, Africa. Yeah, I'm, I'm scared of Africa and I'm scared of the Amazon. I'm just going to be honest. Let's throw the outback in there too. Why? Because nobody wants to be uncomfortable. So I'm like, yes, Lord, as long as it's a plush, cushy, awesome job. I mean, that's really, so I knew God wasn't going to take that for an answer. So I finally said what? Yes, Lord, I'll trust you. And I began to feel this weight lifted. And I began to hear God say, then stay right where I put you. And I began to see God show me, if you go here, if you go there, if you do all these other things, you won't have what you have for your children. Amen. See, this is more than just you. This is your children. Amen. This is what I've created. And I create things to bless you in more ways than you can see. Uh-oh, can I get an amen on that? Some of you are going, no, I don't know if I like that. I want to be blessed with Alexis. God's saying, you can't handle Alexis. <laughs> you know, so what I'm trying to get you to understand is have the courage to receive the blessing God has for you. Number two, you get charged for baggage. I didn't know this. And Pastor Melissa and I, we're both the same. We pack a ton of stuff. We've traveled with people that pack very little. Brother George is awesome. He always fits everything into one carry-on. We bring the max, but they changed the max on me. You used to be able to take two bags. Now they charge you for the extra bag. Now they charge you for both bags. They keep charging you. And can I tell you, you get charged in the spiritual for the baggage you bring into your relationships. You get charged. Sooner or later, you got to deal with it. You got to learn to pack lighter. You got to come in having been set free by Jesus Christ. Oh, what do, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, you have to be introspective if you're going to deal with your baggage. What is introspective? Listen to this. The examination or observation of one's own mental and emotional processes. That means you got to get deep down and ask the hard questions. Why do I react this way? Why am I dissatisfied? Why am I reacting in anger? Why do I get insecure? Why do I get defensive? Why do I, why do I blame? Mm. You say, but, but pastor, what would you have me do? I would have you answer this question. Am I tolerating my flaws in this next coming year or am I finally improving them? Is it okay to stay the same or do I want a better relationship? Can I tell you, no one wants you to stay the same. Well, God takes me just as I am. That's right, just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to transform you into the image of his son. And so life is a matter of getting better, not bitter, getting better. And so as we go through this, listen to the advice Paul gives the Philippian church. It's not that I've already reached this goal. I'm not already perfect. I'm not perfect. Now, men, I know this is going to crush your wives, but turn to them and say, I'm not perfect, baby. I'm not perfect. Listen to what Paul says. For I have, it's not that I've already reached, what, already reached this goal, or have already been made perfect, but I what? 
pursue it so that I may grab hold of it because Christ grabbed hold of me for just this purpose. Didn't I tell you? His purpose, he saved you right where you are, but his purpose is to move you towards perfection. Okay? Now watch this. Brothers and sisters, I myself don't think I've reached it, but I do this one thing. So he's giving you the one clue that's most important. Watch this. I forget about the things behind me and I reach out for the things ahead of me. But this is it. If you're pointed in the wrong direction and you have your eyes not on the prize, but on comparison, then you're going to reach out for... See, what you have your eyes pointed to is what you're going to reach towards. And what Paul is saying, let go of the past. Some of us have experienced amazing hurt, some of our own doing and some by others. Can I tell you, Jesus can set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth can set you free. But pastor, it's so painful to deal with it. Can I tell you what's more painful? Carrying it with you the rest of your life. But what would you have me do? I would have you spend some time with your Savior. Just get on your knees, get along with him, and be introspective, and ask the Holy Spirit to help you, and say, Holy Spirit, help me. I know, I know men and women that have been freed by Jesus Christ from horrific hurts. Rapes and sexual abuse and emotional abuse and physical abuse. And God has set them free. Can I tell you that five minutes with Jesus is worth more than a thousand minutes with a counselor? The Bible says, and he shall be called wonderful counselor. You say, but... But how do I do that? You ask the Holy Spirit to come in to search you. And then you just begin to give it to him. Say, Lord, I cannot carry it. I give you this burden. I give you this hurt. Will you heal me? And you earnestly ask and it shall be done. You have not if you ask not. But if you seek, if you ask, if you knock, it will be opened. You will be, it will be answered to you. You say, Pastor, are you discounting professional help? No, I'm saying professional help has its place, but not before Jesus. Jesus is the key. You say, well, Pastor, what, what, what would you have me do? I would have you recognize some signs of baggage. Five signs, real quick. Stuck in the past. I mean, you keep, you keep what, what is the, the saying called? You keep bringing up the hatchet or what? I don't, I don't know. Don't bring up the past. <laughs> the Bible says that, that love keeps no record of wrong. Connect with God's love. I see my husband's going, yeah, absolutely. Preach it. <laughs> we'll talk more about that, ladies, as we go on. But we all have our tendencies. Somebody in the relationship always has the tendency of holding on to the past. Bringing it up every time someone does wrong. Bam. Can I tell you, if you hold on to the past, you can never reach out for the future. So you want to let go so that you can reach, like Paul says. I'm reaching for a great future. Control issues. I try to control the situation. Why? Because when I, when I feel I can control the situation or someone, then I feel better. Why do I feel better? Because you're compensating for a time when maybe you were out of control where you were taken advantage of. 
you say, oh man, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how this makes me feel. Get with God. Get with God and let him heal you. Number three, unable to receive criticism. Can I get an amen? What do I mean by unable to receive criticism? It means you take it so personal and all of a sudden, why? Because there's a hurt there that's never been dealt with. And every time someone rubs up against that hurt, ow, you take it personal. So until you can get that cleaned up, you're never going to be able to move forward with good, healthy relationships. Number four, the negative mindset. Everything's always down. Everything's always bad. You know, you get good at what you practice. If you, get, if you practice a negative mindset, you will see everything half empty. You will see everything miserable. But you can practice seeing things positively. You can look at a situation and say, man, God, at least I'm alive. <laughs> you know? You say, God, thank you for the pain because it reminds me I'm alive. Amen? God, I know you're working something out. You know, the truth is, what comes out of your mouth is either a declaration for life or a declaration for death. Are you going to bring life into the situation? Say, Lord, I know you're going to help me overcome this. God, I can't wait for the testimony that will come from this test. Lord, I believe. You know, you say, oh, well, that's just talk. But it starts with talk. First, you got to move your mouth to get your feet moving. See what I'm talking about? So here we go, the blame game. Well, it's not my fault, it's their fault. It's somebody else's fault. We talked about this a little bit. It's always easier to blame somebody else than to deal with the hurt inside. So it starts with asking the right questions. You have to ask the right questions. Remember I said that questions focus your brain. Too many times we ask the wrong question. What do I mean by the wrong question? Stay with me just a little bit longer. The wrong question is, why is everybody always picking on me? The right question is, Lord, I've noticed this. What would you have me do about it? I've noticed that I get defensive. I notice that I blame. I notice that I react in anger. I notice that I'm negative. God, how can I deal with that? You see, the right question is you ask, get God involved and you ask it and your brain will start giving you answers. You can pray more. You can speak a positive confession over your situation. And then number three, me versus we, or we versus me. What do I mean by this? I mean that a we attitude is a team attitude. A coach asked one of his players, he was giving him trouble, and he said, there's no I in team, is there? And he said, yeah, but there's me. Some of us have that attitude. Yeah, there may, no be, be, there may not be an I, but there's a me. It's always about me. Now, what's the difference between a me team and, an, and a we team? It's all about the focus. Now, researchers at the University of California, at the University of California, I know we Texans don't, don't like to quote them much, but <laughs> even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. I love you, Californians. <laughs> I, sh I shouldn't have said that. Can we strike that from the, from the recording? Listen, the University of California had a study, and they showed that just the simple practice of using the pronoun we changes things. What does it change? It's a constant reminder that we are together. 
It's a constant reminder that you have to consider somebody else. It's a constant reminder that you're not alone. It's the constant reminder that you have help. It's the constant reminder that you don't have to be the end-all, be-all. It's the constant reminder that your strengths are important to the team. It, it reminds us of all these things you say, but, but, but what are you talking about? Simple things like saying, we have a Super Bowl party planned at our house. Instead of, I have a Super Bowl party planned at my house. It's a simple reminder of saying, we had plumbing issues, or we had electrical issues, or we had a rough morning. We had a rough morning. Instead of, she had a rough morning, guys. Mm. Mm. So, <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm cutting too close to the bone today. You say, but, but how does this affect us? It can affect in simple ways, just how you, how you manage problems. A problem will indicate what you're made of. In other words, as soon as the problem comes down the pike, you're either going to turn toward each other or you're going to turn on each other. A me attitude turns on each other. A we attitude turns toward each other. What do I mean by that? Let's say something happens. Things are going to happen, right? You lose the car keys. <clears throat> do you start blaming each other? And can I say this, guys? We have a natural human tendency to blame each other. What did Adam do when they fell? And God called him and said, Adam, where are you? Who told you you were naked? All these things. He said, what did he tell God? He said, this woman you gave me. Really? You're going to go with that? You're going to blame God? I love it. I just love it. I mean, he went there. He's like, you, Lord. Talk about turning turning the, the, the situation around and doing the blame game. You know, you did wrong and you blame the other person. I'm telling you, that's, that's human nature for us. As a matter of fact, I did that the other day. I'm like, man, Lord, this woman you gave me, this, this Melissa. This. And I remember him saying, you remember being 16 and you begged for her. And he always brings that to mind. He can show me where I was. We were at Alto Frio Baptist Encampment. We were walking down. I'm looking at her. She's beautiful. And I'm, God, I'm going, God, let's make a deal. Whatever it takes. And when he reminds me, it reminds me that I still love her. And I still would ask and say whatever it takes. We have to be careful with this blame thing. We have to be careful with this me attitude because this is what happens. Okay, so your keys get uh, lost, your car gets stolen, something to this effect. The me attitude says, well, I knew I, I shouldn't have parked here. I didn't want to bring this car in the first place. What are we doing here anyway? We start arguing. If it was up to me, we would never have been in this neighborhood. Your parents are the ones that live here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Again, right? You've been, you've been there too. So, so this is, we, we got five minutes. Here we go. What do you do? The we attitude turns toward each other and says, man, this really stinks. Well, I pray the thief gets good use out of it. And I get a new car from the insurance. <laughs> right? So I'll call the, the police. You call the insurance, honey. Let's get this taken care of. Next thing you know, you got the rental car and you're moving along. 
The me attitude, they finally get to that point, but they're still angry with each other. They're still blaming each other. They're still dealing with hurt that they dished out during that fight. So you say, well, what do I need to do? We need to build trust. Number four, how do you build trust? I, I missed out. Of, you, you got, can, can I work through this real quick? How important is unity? I, I missed some verses here. Well, the book, uh, the Ecclesiastes says this, two is better than one. And he goes through a couple of examples. He says they can help each other. They can keep each other warm. They can work together and they create what's called synergy. Write that verse down because I don't have time to read it all. I really want to get to the next verse because there's, there's not just a physical synergy. There is a spiritual synergy that takes place. And listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy. Turn, turn to the next verse, son. Deuteronomy chapter 32 says this, oh, that they were wise. He's talking about the enemies, but he's also talking about you. They need to be wiser and you can be wise to the same principle. And the principle is this, that by yourself, you might be able to handle what? A thousand foes. But together, learning to work in a we attitude team, you can, ten, you can, you can send 10,000 to flight. What kind of increase is that? You can send 10,000 to flight. This is what God is saying. When you work together, you can win at an amazing level. And no weapon formed against you can prosper. Do you understand why the enemy wants to split you up so desperately? Why he wants to cause havoc in your relationship? Do you say, does this mean just if I'm married? No, it means that if you find yourself a good brother and you pray in agreement, what can you accomplish? You find yourself a good sister and pray in agreement. You start praying with your son, with your daughter. Come on now. I'm talking about reconciliation. I'm talking about unity. I'm talking about relationship. You say building trust, establishing trust very easily. We'll cover all of this again in more detail. But one, give each other the benefit of the doubt. Do you know giving each other the benefit of the doubt is the golden rule? And if I'm pretty sure a pretty wise man said the golden rule. I, 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 think, I think he knew a little something about, about life. Some of you are going, what are you talking about? Jesus said it. <laughs> he said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you want people to give you the benefit of the doubt, give them the benefit of the doubt. Have faith in your partner's capabilities. Have faith. Build them up. Have faith in them. Love your partner without any ulterior motives. Don't have something else behind the scenes that you're trying to accomplish. That's called manipulation. And it breaks down sincerity and trust like that. Because people will see through it. Number four, say what you mean and mean what you say. Can I get an amen? amen. Be vulnerable. What does it mean, be vulnerable? Admit when you do wrong. If you admit when you do wrong, you know, people will trust you at a higher level. And then number six, be for one another. That's celebrate each other. I'm going to ask our, our worship team to come up, and we're going to finish this way as our prayer partners come up.
Is there an area here today that God has put on your heart where he spurred something, he sparked something in you? I'm going to ask you to seal it up in the Lord. How do you seal something up in the Lord? You come with your spouse, you come by yourself, you come and you pray and you say, Lord, I want you to to really work this out in me and through me. And I have the courage to ask you for it. You say, but why do I have to do it with somebody else? Remember, one, one by himself can send a thousand to fight, but two together sends 10,000. You're more effective when you join with someone in agreement. That's just the truth. You say, Pastor, what can I pray about? I don't know, maybe the comparison issue. To me, that was a big deal, and I had to learn that, especially in God's house. Because as a pastor, I have to be able to minister to anyone. Some are socioeconomically ahead of me. Some have more wisdom than me. Some don't. And this is the, this is the thing. If I'm comparing myself in a worldly way, then those that don't, I kind of feel like superior. Now, can I truly minister and love them? No. Not if I kind of like you down there because it makes me feel better. What about the person that I perceive as above me? I say it's a perception because that's not what God, remember? God goes, you're not going that way, you're going this way. So I perceive them to be above me. What, what attitude might I have to deal with there? Now, everything that I'm sharing and ministering, it's coming out of a place of insecurity, envy, and maybe even jealousy. So for me, I've had to learn to say, Lord, I have to, I have to want the best for every single person and believe what's for them is a great plan and what's for me is a great plan. And how can I draw encouragement and how can I give encouragement? If you're here today and you want to invest in your relationship, I'm going to ask you to come pray. They're going to start singing. They're going to play. I want you to have courage in the name of Jesus. I love you, church. You walk through all the walls, stepped into my past, filled my world with you didn't have to go, but you are.